Southview, how are we? All right, glad to have you with us here today. Good morning to you all. As we are beginning our time together and people are starting to filter in and drop kids off, we want to go ahead and get started. So glad that you're here with us today. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, if you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. And the best, easiest way you can do that is just to simply to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT. And so we'll uh, send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of quick questions, just so we can know who you are and, and that you're here, so we can pray for you and minister to you in the best way possible. But again, thank you so much for being here today. And for everyone that's here, uh, we want to give you our three big announcements to let you know what's going on here at Southview, how you can be plugged in and connected and know what's going on. Uh, number one is this, our men's breakfast. This coming Saturday, November 6th, we're going to have a men's breakfast. Guys, if you can sign up for that, it's going to be at 8 o'clock this Saturday. Just text BREAKFAST to our number, 910-424-1298. So we know how many to prepare for. Uh, we'd love to have you come be a part of that. We've got a great missionary coming in town to share some stories of God's goodness and grace around the world. And some of the awesome things he's been able to be a part of. So you're not going to want to miss this. So come be a part of that, guys. Text breakfast. Sign up. Come at 8 o'clock. And then afterwards, if you have time, afterwards, uh, bring some work clothes. We're actually going to head across the street and help Southview High School put together some of their fields, their, their ball fields. Um, they've asked for some assistance with that, so we're going to run over for just a little bit and, and help them take care of that, be good neighbors. So come, we'll feed you breakfast, and then we'll make you work. All right, so that's our deal. So come, text breakfast, sign up for that, be a part of that. Second, our yearly family meeting. This is going to be November 14th, not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday after that. Um, this is where we approve our budget for the year, approve uh, leaders and ministry teams for the year, uh, as well as any other business that we might have, and then let you know a little bit of what's going on into 2022. So that's going to be November 14th. Uh, we're going to provide uh, a meal for you. It's going to be after the 11 o'clock service. We'll provide a meal and then uh, share with you some of the great things that the Lord is doing. We need you to sign up for that. Text FAMILY 
to 910-424-1298 so we know how many to prepare for for that as well. Directly after, again, the 11 o'clock service on November 14th. And as you exit on the uh, welcome desk in the back, we have the packet of things that we're going to be voting on. Budget, ministry leaders, we have some other expenditures that we're going to be asking to spend some money on as far as some new playground equipment and things at the parking lot and all of that's on the letter uh, in the back there. So you can pick that up so you know what's going on. We're going to vote on that in two weeks. So please let us know that you're coming. Text family so we know you're coming so we can have plenty of food for you. And then lastly, Operation Christmas Child. Uh, we do this every year uh, with uh, partnership with Samaritan's Purse. We get our Christmas boxes together. We ask you to grab uh, some of those. Fill those up. They have instructions in them. Fill those up. Prepare those. Bring them in. You can just set them on the front steps right here, and we'll make sure that that is given out to the distribution center. They, they're sent around the world to third world countries so that kids there can have Christmas presents and then also have an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's a great way for you to be a part of missions right here. Uh, and so we encourage you, as you exit, you can grab some Christmas boxes um, as you leave out of either door. Grab some Christmas boxes, fill those in, and bring those back, uh, and we'll make sure that those get sent where they need to go. And then this coming um, uh, uh, Friday, November 5th, uh, we're going to have a little packing party in the FLC here. If you're interested, you can come be a part of that. Uh, it's going to be a potluck, so you can come bring you some food, a little bit for you and a little extra, uh, and, uh, and come and help pack for just a little bit some of these boxes, putting them together so that we can uh, have a big uh, shipment to be able to send out, uh, send out so we can be a blessing to kids around the world. So that's November 5th, this coming Friday, if you're able to be a part of that. And then for any other announcements that we have, you can just download our church app, iTunes or Google Play. Through that church app, you're going to see all of our announcements, um, find a journey group, sign up for things, find um, sermon notes for our sermon today and any other sermon that we have. You'll be able to find all of that on the app, previous messages and worship services. All of that's on the app, so download the app. That's your best way to stay connected. That's also a great way to give. We have two ways to give. You can give online through the app. Or you can give in our giving boxes as you leave, whichever works best for you. Uh, so download that app, stay connected, be plugged in uh, to know all that the Lord is doing right here at Southview, and you can be a part of that. Uh, so as we begin our time together worshiping today, though, I want to read a scripture to you. This is a scripture that we're going to look at a little more in depth uh, when we get into our sermon later today uh, in the book of Galatians. But I want to read for you Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Galatians 3 verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this is so interesting. As we talk about baptism here, uh, we're going to actually do a couple of more baptisms during the 11 o'clock service today. We love doing that. We love seeing people profess Christ, put faith in Christ, and then follow up with baptism. And what baptism again symbolizes and represents as you go under the water and up again is the symbolism of you um, Dying to your old life and rising again to new life in Jesus. And Galatians 3.27 says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, again, it's this picture of as you go under the water, it's you dying. You rising up out of the water to new life. It's also a picture of you literally being baptized into Christ. Everything that you get from God through faith in Christ comes to you because through faith in Christ, as you ask Jesus to come into your heart, as you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, what you're doing is you're by faith literally jumping into Jesus. You jump into him and everything that he has becomes available to you. His grace, his forgiveness, his new life, freedom from sin, 
power, the work of God, all of these things come to you because of Jesus and your faith in Jesus, being placed in Jesus. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray for us. And I, and I, and I want us to start our time worshiping together with this in our minds. You've been placed into Jesus Christ. You're placed in Christ. Think just for a moment all that that means. When you believe by faith in Jesus, you're placed into Jesus. You're not stranded off by yourself. You're placed in Christ. So that means you have perfect union with God, perfect communion with God, perfect relationship with God. Because it's not just you and God, it's you in Christ before the Father. So this is why we get to walk free from sin, because in Christ there is no sin. This is why we get to walk free from condemnation, because in Christ there is no condemnation. Why we get to walk free from our past, because in Christ you're not held by your past anymore. You're a brand new creation in Christ. You're in Him. So Lord, I just thank you this morning that we are in you, Jesus. We're in you. I ask you this morning that you would just allow fresh revelation, fresh insight, fresh understanding to come into our hearts as we see how glorious and amazing and astounding that is. I am in you, Jesus. So that means there is no condemnation and no wrath and no punishment. And I am free from the law and I'm free from trying to work hard for you. And I'm just in you, Jesus, so I get all of your grace and all of your mercy and all of your forgiveness and all of your love and all of your life just given to me because I'm in you. And nothing gets held back. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for today, God, that that our eyes, our spiritual eyes, will become open to see the enormity of this truth. Thank you, Lord God. Do this in us today. In your name, Jesus. morning church because these things are true we can celebrate who Christ is and who he's calling us to be the greatness of God let's sing together from the dawn of creation this world has been crying out for hope for a hero to save supernatural there is only one God to save the day to clear the stage to clear the way to heaven and earth I sing it glory hallelujah let the whole world see come on the greatness of our God in awesome wonder he reigns forever we know the greatness
save the day To clear the stage Prepare the way Cause heaven and earth are singing Glory, hallelujah Let the whole world sing The greatness of our God In awesome wonder He reigns forever We know the greatness of our God His power is endless He lives within us We know the greatness of our Story of redemption written on it. 
have the seats we want to we want to take a minute here this morning and spend a little time praying together as we always try to do and as we're 
as we're praying, we pray through the, the Lord's Prayer. And, and I want to take some time this morning to focus in on the section of the Lord's Prayer where it says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Especially that last part, deliver us from evil. And I want to focus in a very specific way. So the greatest way that God delivers us from evil is by saving us, right? We are, we are enemies of God. We are trapped in the snare of Satan. We are children of this world and of Satan. And, but, but God comes and he, he delivers us. He redeems us. He saves us. So I want to focus specifically on that today in spend some time here this morning praying for people in our lives that need that kind of deliverance. People that you know that need to be saved. Every person in this room, we all have someone in our life. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker. There's someone you know who does not know Christ. And as followers of Christ, as Bible-believing Christians, we, we know, we profess that the only thing that sets us free from sin, the only thing that saves us from ourselves, from God's wrath in hell. The only thing that saves us from that is faith in Christ and Christ alone. So we want to pray fervently that those in our lives, people we know and we love, will believe by faith in Christ as well. This weekend, we are taking a little time as our church to um, try to connect in ministry with people in our neighborhoods. We have about 20 families in our, in our church who are taking this weekend, uh, trick-or-treating Halloween weekend to open up their homes and not just give out candy, but really try to use that as an opportunity to, to minister to people and engage with people and in hopes to share the gospel. We have some that did it last night, some are doing it tonight, some are doing it both nights. Um, but already hearing some amazing, amazing stories of that. So I'm going to take just a second and pray for, for them but then I want to take it a minute also and allow you to focus in specifically on people in your life that you're praying would come to faith in Him. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is what we're doing. We're imploring, we're calling for people to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that starts first with you talking to God, not you talking to them, okay? If, you, if there's anyone in your life you're trying to share the gospel with, you need to pray to God about them way more than you talk to them about God, all right? So let's start by doing that here this morning. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for me. And, and I'm going to let you kind of lead this time in your own hearts because you have someone in your mind someone that you're asking God to do a work in them. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, a parent, a friend. Your desire is that they would come to faith in Christ. Take just a minute right now this morning and lift them up. Ask that God would make himself real to them.
ask that God would pull down any lies that they're believing about him that stop them from coming to faith in Christ. Ask God to reveal to them true life that can only come through Jesus. Lord, I just, I pray God for, God, even... I don't know what what all names are being thought of and prayed for here, but Lord, I thank you that you do. So I pray for each of them that you already know. I ask you, Lord God, that every person that's on a heart in this room, I pray, God, that you would do this, God, that you would speak to those individuals, God, that you would reveal yourself to them, God, that your gospel would go forth and get planted in good soil. I pray, God, whatever it is in their hearts that stops them from receiving the gospel, I pray, God, that you would remove that from them, that you would make good soil there in their hearts to see and receive you as Savior. I pray, God, for us, God, that you would empower us to be ambassadors, just like the scripture says, you're ambassadors, making an appeal. You making your appeal through us. I pray, God, that we won't depend on our own words or our own actions or, or, or our ability to convince them for something, God, but we'll just trust you and tell them what great things you've done in us and ask you, God, to do the same thing in them. And I pray, God, for our homes that are going to be used as lighthouses for the gospel this weekend, those last night and tonight. I pray, God, that you would empower us, Lord, to, um, to, Lord, just glorify you. To share the gospel, to, to grow in greater relationships with, with our neighbors. God, that you would allow us, Lord, beyond this weekend, that our homes would be lighthouses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would shine bright in our neighborhoods. That we would see a harvest of souls come. Thank you, Lord. Do this in us, God. I pray that you would empower us to keep praying fervently more and more and more and more and more for the salvation of souls. This harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I pray, God, that we would labor hard in prayer for those that we love. Do this work, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right, hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Galatians chapter 3 together, all right? We're going to pick it up in verse 15 today, Galatians 3, 15. So, um, so there's a time and a place for everything. Uh, and, uh, gosh, I guess it was eight, nine years ago, something like that, we, um, we had some friends over to our house for dinner. And uh, after dinner, um, our kids were smaller, and Marie was uh, getting our kids ready for bath and bed while we were 
you know, I was getting coffee together for her friends who were hanging out with us, and, and so she ran bath water for um, uh, one of our little ones at the time, and, and uh, got him ready for the bath, and, and instead of getting in the bath, he was two, I guess, uh, he thought it'd be a better idea to run through our house buck naked doing a dance, right? And so if you have kids, if you ever had, you know, small kids, like this is what they do, right? And so, so this is what he does. He runs through the house buck naked, and he's two. You know, he's doing a dance and, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and you know what happened? Our friends, you know what they did? They laughed and thought it was cute because he's two, right? If a two-year-old runs through their house naked, it's cute. If a 32-year-old does that, right, you've got different issues, correct? So, so you can do things at two that you cannot do at 32. We can just, right, basic understanding, we're, we're all together on this, yes? Right, at two you do it, it's cute. At 32 you do it, you're a criminal. Right, you're a pervert and people are calling the police. Similarly for us today. What gets you as a Christian mixed up, what gets you jammed up, is when you confuse how God desires to work in your life today. You, you, you take the way he used to work in your life when you were lost, or the way uh, the Bible describes he used to work in people's lives before Christ. You take that and you kind of mix it in. And so what happens is this. So if you take a, a little bit of law and a little bit of grace and you mix it all together and it becomes this distorted, goofy thing. It, it, we're, we're, okay, today's Halloween, right? You, you create a monster, and then that monster eats you. You create this weird, warped view of Christianity that is not Christianity at all. And as a result of that, it, it, it completely destroys your soul. You add a little bit of law and a little bit of grace and a little bit of Jesus' work and a little bit of my work, and you try to put it all together, it, and it's this distorted Frankenstein's monster that eventually eats you alive. And so the desire for us today is to help you see the distinction between the two, law and grace, your work and God's work, and see how it, everything really is just on God's work and not your work, and we're going to try to set up a solid framework of what we're doing here, all right? So, so our big idea for today is there are things in the Christian's life that you get all twisted and messed up in your mind. And so what we want to do today is help understand what the purpose for these things are. And if you rightly understand them, then you're going to be able to really see God do a great and awesome thing in your life. So it all obviously starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the foundation for everything. So let's share it today. So we do this all throughout the book of Galatians. We're just repeating together. When we say the gospel, here's what we mean. All right, so when we say the gospel, here's what we mean. We'll share all of this, say it together. The gospel is right standing with God that was bought by Jesus on the cross and it is enjoyed only by faith in his work. Anything added to the gospel ruins it and you miss Jesus. All right, so this is the gospel. This is what we mean by the gospel. So three big ideas we're going to try to tackle today, all right? So I want to kind of let you know what we're doing from the beginning so you can then judge me accordingly if I do a good job or not, all right? Here's the big idea. Number one. We must stop trying to change God's plan. When it comes to salvation and how he works in your life, what gets you jammed up, God has a very specific way of working in your life, but instead of allowing God to do it that way, you get all funky and create your own plan. All right? Number two, we must understand the real purpose of the law. God has given the law. It is right and good and holy and perfect and pure, but it must be understood and used the right way. If you use it the wrong way, you're going to mess yourself up. All right? 
And then number three, we must see ourselves as God's children and not slaves. So many of us, we see ourselves living as slaves rather than sons. And as a result of that, we do not experience all the fullness of life that God gives us through faith in Christ. All right, so if we understand these three things properly, I believe God is going to be able to do a powerful, amazing thing in us. So let's jump in together, all right? Let's pick it up in verse 15. This first big idea of we got to stop trying to change God's plan of how he works in our life. So verse 15. So to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the, promise, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but, off, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the promise comes by the law, it, is no, longer com- it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. All right, so let's, real quick, let's, let's, let's explain this. So Paul is trying to help us understand this idea that um, salvation is just by faith and not the law, and God's not going back on that he's not changing it and the way he uses to try to explain that is the human analogy of this um, of a document being ratified and once a document is ratified it can't be changed so think about it like this imagine you and your spouse you write out your will and you decide that if something happens where you and your spouse both die everything you have goes to your oldest child okay so if you die everything goes to your oldest child all right, all the money, all the investments, the, the, the house, the property, everything goes to your oldest. That's the plan. You wrote it in the will. You signed it. It's, it, 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 it's stamped. It's set. It's legal. You're done. So then something tragic happens. You and your spouse both die at the same time. And it's supposed to everything go to the oldest child. So imagine then you go to the judge. The oldest child goes to the judge, opens up the last will and testament, and he starts to read it, and he reads it. Sure enough, all right, upon the death, da da da, this everything, boom, 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 goes to the oldest child. But then the judge shuts that and says, all right, now, you get every single bit of this if you go to this college and get this major and have this GPA and then get this kind of career after school. If you do all of that, then you can have this. Well, well, that's illegal. The judge can't do that, correct? Because this is a ratified document. This is a set document in place. A judge can't come in then afterwards and go, oh, that's good. You can get all that if you also do blank, 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 and blank. That makes sense so far? This is what he's saying here. So what these Judaizers, these, these legalists are trying to say is saying, okay, yes, yes, yes. So Abraham was by faith before the law. That is true. Yes and true and right and good. However, 430 years later... God brought the law, so clearly God did that because he knew faith wasn't enough. You needed law, right? He did the whole faith thing. It didn't work out that great. You kept messing up, so God said, all right, here, you need a little law to help you out. And Paul is saying that's not true. Once a document is ratified, it can't later be changed. And God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that this relationship was just going to be by faith and not work. So the law coming in 430 years later doesn't change anything. Here's why that's a big deal for us. Many of us 
you believe that you got saved because of Jesus and not your works. You don't think that you earned salvation. You don't think that you were worked your way into it because I'm a good person. God saved me. You don't think that. But here's what happens for many of us. We believe that we're saved by grace through faith, yes. But then we get this weird, funky thing where we start thinking that we then grow in that faith according to what we do. We start adding law and works on the back end. Yes, it's just faith in Jesus that saves you. But if you're really going to be a strong Christian, you also have to do blank, blank, and blank. And so then what we do is we start looking to our works and our efforts and our abilities to try to grow us in that faith. We're adding something to the back end. God had a plan. It's just grace and faith in Jesus. That's it. That's all there is. Trust by faith in Christ. He who began a good work is going to see it come to completion, Philippians 1. Jesus is the beginning and the end of your faith, Hebrews 12. Let Jesus do what Jesus does. Stop thinking that you're going to come on the back end and do these other things to help God out. God doesn't need your help, okay? He began the work in you. He's going to finish it. So what we often do is we look at the things that we do. We look at our Bible reading plan and our church attendance and all these things as things we do to try to grow closer in the Lord. And what Paul is trying to say here is this. Quit trying to add works on the back end. Quit trying to add your good works and your good ability to do anything to curry favor with God. It can't. Now you still read your Bible and you still pray and you still go to church and that's great. But those are tools used by God to do a work in you that he is doing. The hope and the confidence is in God, not in the things that you're doing. Is this making sense? So this is what he's trying to help them understand. Just because law came later doesn't mean that that's now how God is using you to, using to grow you. He's not doing that. It's just faith and that's it. It's always been faith. It's just going to continue to be faith. Don't add the rules. Just trust Jesus. Right? Stop adding the rules. Just trust Jesus. This was not in the... Okay, whatever. Here we go. Can I give you a classic example? Can I give you a modern day, literally, by modern day I mean today example? Everyone did Halloween yesterday, trick-or-treating, out of some vain attempt to not disobey honoring the Sabbath. And you missed the whole point. So if you did that, I believe you did that in a good faith effort. But you literally just did what Galatians says stop doing. Stop thinking doing something on a certain day is what makes you right. Your kid dressing up like a cowboy and getting candy on one day rather than the other means nothing to God. It means literally nothing. You're doing the very thing Galatians says, you know, you sh that really doesn't do anything right. It doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't make you a better Christian. It just confuses your neighbors. That's all it did. They're like, so, so wait, so is it, is it today? Is it, I'm, I'm confused. So why are we, why are we doing, I don't, I don't understand. Because it's a Sunday. Okay. 
What are we doing there? We're adding rules on the back end in some vain attempt that that might make me a real strong Christian. And it doesn't. But the whole point of Galatians is, the whole point of Galatians is, it's just faith in Christ and not some rule you grab on the back end. It's just Jesus. That's it. So if a kid wants to dress up on a Saturday or Sunday, or let's be honest, they're doing both because they're just greedy and they want more candy. That's great. I don't care. That's fine. My kids do the same thing. Can we do two days? Sure, whatever. Take advantage of those bad boys. Let's do it. But that isn't what makes you godly. Right? That's the point. So then... What is the purpose of the law? Why do we even have the law? What's the big idea with the whole thing? That's where we jump into this next part. So, the law doesn't save you. Why do we have the law? Is the law pointless? Is the law bad? No. Psalm 19 says the law is perfect and right and good and holy and true and sure. The law is God-given. The law shows the character and nature of God. But if it doesn't save us, what does it do? I'm going to give you a Three quick things, all right? What does the law do? So, in other words, if we're going to really grow in the faith, we got to understand what the law does and does not seek to accomplish. So, number one is this. The law shows us our sin. Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the, offering, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. The point is this, the law was given because of sin. We used this analogy all series long. When you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you saw your hair was out of place when it needs to be fixed, you did not rip the mirror off the wall and start trying to comb your hair with it. The point of the mirror is to show you what needs to be fixed, not to be the tool that fixes you. This is the law. The law shows you what needs to be fixed in you. The law shows you your sin. Romans 7, 7, the Apostle Paul says, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know how much of a sinner I was. The law shows you that you are a sinner. The law doesn't fix you and you're sinning. Which brings us to point number two. What does the law do? The law points you to Jesus. Look at verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So verse 22 there says that the scripture, that's the law, imprisoned everything under sin. That word imprison, uh, it, it's a word that means a fish caught in a net. So if you throw out a net and catch a fish, literally that fish gets wrapped up in the net. It can't go anywhere. And this is what it says the law did for you. It hemmed you in so that you could not get out. And the more you wiggle, if you ever try to catch fish with a net, like the more they wiggle, the more ingrained the net they get. Right? The more you fight, the worse it gets. And so the more you fight against your sin, trying to be good, the more you realize you can't stop yourself from, from being bad. and being, You can't do it, and it hems you in, hems you in, and hems you in for the purpose of, verse 22, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given. The whole point of the law is to show you, you can't save you, you need a savior. You can't make yourself better. You can't obey the rules. You can't do enough. You need Jesus. And then three, in verse 23, the law restrains evil. Verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
Verse 24, so then the law was a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So that word guardian is a Greek word. It, it's describing there a, a slave who's in charge of the master's son and is given charge over that son, over that child, to protect that child, guard that child, protect that child until that child comes of age and can now take care of themselves. Right? This is a guardian. As long as a child is in need, there's someone placed over top of them um, as a tutor, as someone who protects them, as someone who teaches them, as someone who guides them. And this is the way it's describing the law. You needed the law. The point of the law is not to make you good, but what the law does do is restrains evil right the point of the law is to stop you from doing bad things so that you won't be punished the law doesn't reward you for being good the law punishes you for being bad right so think about speeding um so we're coming up on thanksgiving so last thanksgiving we're driving home to south carolina um we're just trucking down the road if you're familiar with south carolina i was driving to a little town called society hill um it's really easy to get to society hill just go to the middle of the world, middle of nowhere, and take a left. Right? You hit Society Hill. So we're driving through Society Hill. Kids are in the back seat watching a movie. We're talking. We're laughing. All is good. We're just trucking right along. And I see blue lights in my, in my, my river mirror. And my first, I, the very first thing I said to Marie was, whoo, he's got somebody. I better pull over and let him get by. Right? So then I pull over. I'm like, He's pulling behind me. Marie said, were you speeding? Like, I honestly don't know. So he walks up. He says, sir, you know why I pulled you over? I said, I'm going to be really honest with you. I have literally no idea. He said, well, I caught you doing 73 and a 55. I said, well, then you needed to pull me over, didn't you? And he was, he was extremely kind and, and dropped the number significantly to help a brother out, and I appreciate that. But... He, you've never in your life been going 54 and a 55, see blue lights in your rear mirror, you pull over, and the police officer walks up to you and says, I wanted to give you a cookie. <laughs> You're obeying the speed limit. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Here's, here's your reward for obeying the speed limit. You have a great day. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Right? It doesn't work that way. Right? The point of the law is not to reward you for being good. It is to punish you when you're bad. Right? That's the point. And it's saying this is the good part of the law. The law is there to restrain evil. Apart from God's law, men and women would be free to do whatever godless wickedness they would like. God provides his law to help some restraining there, some, some, some general common grace to pull all things in, so that men and women obey the rules just a little bit, not enough for righteousness, but so that we don't kill each other. Right? So, the law is good. The law restrains evil. The law shows you your sin. The law points you to Jesus. If you understand that's the purpose for the law, you're going to be good. Now, when you start thinking the law is going to help you get closer to God, that's when you get funky. When you start thinking the law is going to make you holy, that's when you get backwards. But when you understand, no, no, the point of the law, the point of God's rules, and the point when I break the rules is to show me how much I need Jesus. Then God can work with that. 
And then that brings us to the last thing, which is so extremely important for us to grasp and understand. God doesn't just save us out of our sin, but places us into his family. Look at verse 25. But now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I love that. If you have a Bible, underline that last phrase. You are all sons of God by faith. Now, some of you have different translations. Some of your translations, instead of saying all sons of God, some of you may say all children of God, all sons and daughters of God. Real quick, let me explain to you. It's just as sons of God, and that's a big deal. It needs to be just sons of God. That is the right and proper and good translation. Here's why. First century Roman life, first century Judaism, women had no rights. None. You could not own property, buy property, sell property, inherit property. You basically were property. Women had no, you couldn't testify in courts, nothing. The fact that God here says through faith in Christ, all of us. And, you, and if you go back down, uh, we'll see it. We'll pick it up in verse. So look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. We looked at that earlier. And then verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are, in, are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That verse 28, there's no Jew, nor Greek, no slave, nor free, no male, nor female. The fact that he says everyone is a son is huge. That means it doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your present. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're male. It doesn't matter if you're female. The point is, through faith in Christ, everyone is offered sonship. Everyone is offered to be a total, complete Son of God through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that means everything because that changes everything. That means no one in this room is a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. We all are free and total sons of God. And ladies, if you look at that and go, well, it feels weird to be called a son of God. Well, it feels weird for guys to be called the bride of Christ. Get in line. We get it, all right? The point is, because in our, in, in, in our modern minds, we've we got to change language because it doesn't fit. The language is there for a reason. You're called a son of God for a reason. Because sons, firstborn sons, they're the ones that get everything. And God said, with faith in Christ, that's every single one of you. You all get it. Every single one of us. So, so jump to chapter 4. Let's take just for a second and see a little bit of what this looks like. Chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So he's saying as a young child, really a young kid's no different than a slave because you're controlled and told to do everything, right? You, you, you don't have, you don't get to make your own decisions and do your own stuff. You're told what to do every single day. 
But there comes a point, there comes a time for Jewish families that was age 12, for Roman families that was age 14, there came a time where you were now considered an adult. And when that happened, you were no longer under the care of anyone else. You now came into full maturity. And it says in the same way for all of us, it's time that we come to full maturity by faith in Christ. Setting aside these elementary things of be good by doing this and be righteous by doing that. Set aside all of that junk. Trust by faith in Jesus. Mature Christians aren't mature because they obey rules or no big words. Mature Christians are mature because they have a deep, profound faith in Christ for all things. That's what makes you mature. Setting aside the elementary things means you set aside this idea that because you know these things or this educated or this uh, uh, um, good according to the rules stand, uh, world's worldly standards, that's what makes you uh, mature. That's actually immaturity in elementary things. Set that stuff aside and trust by faith in Christ. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So he's saying here that Jesus came under the law, 100% God and 100% man, under the law, so that he can die for our sins, the fact that we're lawbreakers, he can die for that, take our punishment, and as a result of that, now make us sons of God. And it says there in verse 6 that we cry out, Abba, Father, which is a, 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 an ancient way of basically kind of saying Daddy, right? It's this intimate way of calling out to your dad. The Spirit of Jesus comes into us and now communes with the Father, and now we get to commune with the Father the same way Jesus does, as his kids. So here's what I want to do as we kind of wrap up. I want to show you the difference between son life and slave life. Because again, what's messing us up, the whole point of today is when Christians get it twisted. Right? We, we think that we can start adding rules to make ourselves more godly, or we think that obeying the rules is what makes us loved by God, or when we start living as people who are enslaved rather than free, total sons of God. So let me give you a few ideas. Number one is this. The son has a father while the slave has a master. Again, verse 6, you get to call God daddy. A slave is property, a son is family. A master only cares what he can get out of a slave. A dad just cares for his kid. Some of you, you, you have a warped relationship with God because you still view him just in that master role and not as a dad. And I understand that some in this room, you may have had really jacked up relationships with your dad. So as a result of that, calling God your dad and seeing God as your dad can be, can be confusing and difficult. But I want to encourage you today Spend some time focusing in on this and asking God to speak to your heart and opening up your eyes to see how great and amazing it is that God is your dad. Slaves get a master. You get a daddy. And that dad loves you. And that dad wants to take care of you. 
That dad wants to shower you with love and affection. He's not looking for what he can get out of you. He just wants relationship with you. A son gets a dad. Second, a son obeys out of love while a slave obeys out of fear. So a slave has two options. Obey or experience the consequences for disobedience. That's it. Those are your only two choices. A slave obeys out of fear of what might happen if they don't. That's it. That's all that drives that relationship. A son, though, obeys out of love for his dad. And this is an important distinction. Many of us in this room, again, what's getting it all twisted for us is we still think we obey God out of fear of what he might do to you if you don't. We're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of the retribution. And again, some of you, you maybe grew up with dads that, I mean, just the slightest thing was like a nuclear bomb going off. And it's really easy to take that relationship and, and sort of cast that onto you and God. But I want to encourage you, that is not God. So there is wrath for sin. It is severe, it is, it, is, it is devastating, it is eternal. But that sin was thrown onto Jesus, so that, you, that, that wrath was thrown onto Jesus so that you don't have to experience any of it. In fact, the word propitiation, it's a big word, you'll find it in the book of 1 John. It means a sacrifice given to absorb and take all of the wrath of God. Every bit of anger and wrath God has for your sin was poured onto Jesus. You don't obey out of fear of what God might do to you. You obey because God just loves you and has already taken all that stuff onto Jesus. You don't get any of it. I want to read for you 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Let's just listen. It's not going to be on the screen, uh, so just listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The idea is this, because you realize that Jesus Christ died to take away your sin, and to take away God's wrath, now that love controls you. Slaves are driven by fear. Sons get to be driven by love. Third, the son is rich while the slave is poor. A slave has nothing. A slave can't own property. A slave is property. A slave can't receive an inheritance. A slave is the inheritance passed on to someone else. That is not you. You're a son. You get all the riches that come from God and God alone. Every single bit is poured onto you. You get everything. You didn't deserve any of it. You weren't worthy of any of it. You just gave it. I heard an interesting um, uh, interview this week. Shaquille O'Neal, so NBA player Shaquille O'Neal. So he's talking about um, raising sons. And he says his boys growing up, used to always talk about, we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. And uh, Shaq said, he looked at his kids and said, you're not rich. Now, now your mom and I, 
we're rich. We're, we're filthy rich. You don't own anything. Right? Even the stuff you have, we gave you. Right? You, you get everything from us. Sons receive everything the dad has. And you're a son of God through faith in Christ. You experience sonship. So that means you get to take everything. All the riches, all the glory, all the everything. Every spiritual gift you can ever be given in Christ has already been given to you. You receive everything. And then last, a son has a future while a slave does not. A slave has no hope for the future. There's nothing to look forward to. Nothing to hope for. But that's not you. You're a son of God through faith in Christ. So you get to look forward to life on this earth filled with the Spirit of God and then life eternal living literally in God's presence. You get everything. So I'm going to ask our band to come up. And, and as they do, I've, I've shared with you before my story. In <clears throat> when about six or seven years ago, maybe closer to ten, I was just going through a really difficult, dark time in my life, just really struggling, just spiritually in the Lord, family-wise, ministry-wise. I mean, just everything was just like just trying to walk in waist-deep mud. Just, just felt off. So I've shared this story with you before that I went to a friend of mine and just shared this with him and just said, man, I'm just struggling. I don't know what to do. And how he looked at me and he said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? So I just started sharing, well, you know, I, I'm Brad and this is my family and this is what I do for a living. He said, no, 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 but who are you? So I went, well, I'm, this is my family and this is where I'm from originally. I said, no, 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 who are you really? And I finally just kind of got frustrated and looked at him and said, there's clearly something you're looking for. What are you looking for? He said, the most important thing about you, Brad, is not what you do for a living or who you're married to or who your kids are or where you're from. Or, the most important thing about you is the fact that you are a son of God. And the reason that you feel like you're walking in quicksand is because you've started focusing on all these other things as what defines you instead of the most important thing, which is the fact that God is your dad. At that moment, it's like I can take you back to that very moment we were eating out of Panera Bread in Charlotte. Remember it like it was yesterday. And it was like heaven just went, wow. I'd been focusing. Again, I got it all twisted. I was focusing on me and what I do and what I accomplish. And am I doing a good job? And am I obeying the rules? And am I being a good Christian? And, it, and when it finally became realized, that no, 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 no. It's just the fact that I'm God's son. That's it. It changed everything. God does not need you to add rules on the back end to be godly. And God does not need you to think that obeying those rules is going to make you have a better relationship with him. And God is not looking for you to obey him out of fear or guilt or habit or manipulation 
God wants you to see that you're his child. Through faith in Christ, you are placed in Christ, and that means that every one of us in this room experiences sonship, which means we're given everything, and that changes everything. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And, and as we conclude our time, our band is going to lead us and we're going to stand, we're going to sing here in a moment. I want to encourage you, take some time here this morning. Are you living first and foremost as a son of God? All of us, men, women, rich, poor, grew up in church, grew up very, very, very far from church. Wherever you're from, whatever brings you to this point, if you believe by faith in Jesus Christ, we are all equal sons of God. And that is the most important thing about you. Ask God today to plant this truth deeply into your hearts and let this be what guides you. As you walk by faith in him. Jesus, do this in us, your people, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Because these things are true, church, we can stand and we can celebrate together. So I want to encourage you to, again, stand with me and sing. You can stay where you are. You can stay seated and reflect. You can come here and pray. You can pray where you are. But in all things, let us glory in the hope of Christ. Let's sing. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance
God, that you, our hearts, our minds are just transfixed on you. We thank you, Jesus, that you save us. We thank you, Jesus, that you make us your sons. And all that comes with that, I ask you here this morning, God, that, that we just become just overwhelmed and excited, God, with the fact that we are your sons through faith in Jesus, which means we get everything. We get to just walk in grace and love. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.